Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Praise Band, for leading us so wonderfully in worship this morning. You know, I was thinking we all go through some, uh, some tough times, don't we, in life? You, you ever feel that way? It might be an illness. I think all of us have had a tough time with COVID running around, and so sometimes we just have tough times. And so sometimes your tough time might be a, a wayward child. It might be a bad diagnosis. It might be some type of financial crisis that you're going through, or maybe you're struggling in your marriage. Maybe you've faced the death of a loved one. I mean, we all face tough times in life. It doesn't matter who you are. And if you're not having a tough time right now in life, you will at some point be having a tough time. So I was thinking, how would you handle, how would you handle it if these things happen? How would you handle it if you lost your job? How would you handle it if tomorrow morning the stock market crashed and you were bankrupt? How would you handle it if your husband or wife suddenly walked out on you? How would you handle it if you had a wayward child? How would you handle it if you had a loved one who never came to Christ? How would you handle it if you lost your job because of your Christian faith? How would you handle it if you ended up in jail because of your relationship with Christ? I mean, how would you endure those tough times? And maybe you're here today, maybe you're kind of down and out a little bit, maybe you're down and depressed because you're going through a tough time, and, and maybe you just feel like quitting, just giving up. And maybe you're saying, is there a secret to enduring tough times? And how do I endure tough times when they come? Paul Tripp, in his devotional, said this, Everyone wants it. It's the thing that stimulates courage and perseverance. It's what, it's what gets you through tough times and keeps you from quitting. It's hard to be happy and to get up and continue when you don't have any of it. What is it? That's the question. What is it? What is the secret to enduring tough times? It's a short word. It's a small word. It's hope. H-O-P-E. Hope. Now what is hope? We hear hope a lot. Hope is not uh, some wish. It's not some kind of desire. It's not some kind of maybe. That's not what hope is. You know, I heard a story of a, a man who, whose wife was fed up with him and she packed all his bags and she had him at the door. She said, I want you to get out of this house right now. And he's picking up his bags to leave and she says, you know, I hope that you die a slow, painful, miserable death. And the husband was about to walk out, and he said, so you want me to stay then? <laughs> when we think about hope, we're not, it's not a wishful thinking. When we think about the word hope, it's a rock-solid confidence based on God's Word. It's a rock-solid confidence. Hope is a very powerful word. In Proverbs 13, 12, Solomon said this, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. That's how important hope is. Now hope is really the secret to enduring tough times. In Psalms 31.4, the psalmist said, Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. You see how powerful hope is? I mean, a researcher from Johns Hopkins University, his name was Kurt Richter. He did a study on rats in the 1950s. 
and he was really revealing the importance of hope. And so what he did is he took, took half jars full of water and he would put rats in that water to see how long they could swim before they drowned. So he began first with the domesticated rats. And he would put them in that water and, and those domesticated rats could swim from two minutes to 12 minutes before they eventually succumbed and drowned. Then he got these wild um, rats and he thought, hey, I'm going to put them in there. I mean, they, they're used to having to survive and to struggle for survival. I think they'll do much better. So he put them in that, those jars half full of water and within a short period of time, within seconds, they drowned. Surprised him. So then he decided to do another experiment, but this time he was going to do it a little differently. He filled those jars half full of water, and this time he would put those rats, the, the, the wild ones and the domesticated ones, in those jars, and, and then right before they drowned, he would rescue them. And he did that several times, and then he finally said, now I'm going to see how long they can swim now. And to his surprise, they didn't swim two minutes or 12 minutes or 24 hours. They swam 72 hours, three days. And so this is what he concluded. He said, what caused some of the rats to give up was because they had no hope to endure. But when those rats had been helped in the past and had hope of being saved, they would keep fighting in belief that all hope was not lost. And do you know why so many people give up and quit when times get tough? Because they have no hope. Or they've lost their hope somehow. In his book, The Case for Hope, Lee Strobel told the story of Major Harold Kushner, who was a prisoner of the Viet Cong for more than five years. And, and uh, Major Kushner described one of his fellow inmates. He was a, a young 24-year-old tough Marine who had come into the camp. Well, this Marine had agreed to cooperate with the enemy in exchange that they would release him from that prison camp. And so that young Marine did everything that they asked him to do. He became the model prisoner. He even became the leader of the camp's thought reform program. But before long, he realized that that camp commander had lied to him and they had no intention of releasing him. And this is how Major Kushner described what happened to that Marine next. He said, when the full realization of this took hold, he became like a zombie. He refused to do any work. He rejected all the offers of food and encouragement. He simply would lay on his cot and suck his thumb. And in a matter of weeks, he was dead. He lost hope and he died. The power of hope. Hope is what gives you and me the drive to endure when we face tough times. So in Hebrews, the Hebrew writer was writing to a group of Hebrews who had left Judaism to follow Christ. And they were facing some tough times and they were being tempted to walk away from Christ and go back to their old life. They were, they were being tempted just to throw in the towel. You know, the first thing so many Christians do when they face tough times, they, they just quit church. They quit reading the Scripture. They quit serving God. And these Jewish Christians were about to lose their hope in Christ. And so the writer of Hebrews told them how to endure when you face tough times. So if you've got your Bible open to Hebrews chapter 10, look there in verse 32. Hebrews 10, 32 says this, But recall the former days. How can you have hope in tough times? The writer of Hebrews says, recall the former days. That word recall means to remember. It doesn't mean to casually think about. It means to intentionally think about it over and over and over. Bring those memories back to your mind. If you want a hope that endures, you need to remember. Now the question is, what do we need to remember? I want to give you a few things that you need to remember to have hope, to endure. The first thing you need to remember is the provisions of Christ. You need to remember the provisions of Christ, how He's provided for you in the past. 
You know, in Hebrews chapter 10, 32, it says, but recall the former days. He's really quoting Deuteronomy 32, verse 7, right before uh, Moses died and the people went into the promised land. Moses gave them last instructions. He said, remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you. Your elders and they will tell you. Now what happened in the days of old? I mean, God delivered the Israelites from some, from some very sketchy situations. I mean, you remember, they were his slaves for 400 years in Egypt. And how did God deliver them? He delivered them by striking the firstborn of every Egyptian and the firstborn of all their animals. But the Israelites were protected because they were covered by the blood of the Passover lamb. And so what did God tell them to do when they left Egypt? He said, every year, you observe the Passover so you never forget how I delivered you. He wanted them to remember. His provisions. And then you remember what happened next? They were on their way out of, out of Egypt. Everything was going great. And then Pharaoh realized, I'm about to let my free labor go. So he sent his troops after them. And so the Israelites began to hurry off, trying to escape in some way. And when they were running loose, they got to the Red Sea on one side and Pharaoh's army behind. They were in a tough spot. And what did God do? God provided. He parted the Red Sea and let them go across on dry land. That's God's provision, and we need to remember God's provisions when we are in tough times. Have you ever been in a tough situation and God provided for you? Ever felt that? We need to remember God's provisions when we are in difficult times. But, you know, we have selective memories. Uh, the Israelites had selective memories. I mean, the Israelites had been the beneficiary of all of God's provisions so many times. They had seen that God part the Red Sea. They had seen Him deliver them from 400 years of slavery. But then when they got into the wilderness and they were looking for some food, they began to complain to Moses. Why did you bring us out here? I remember all those sweet melons that we had in Egypt. I remember all that deli those delicious uh, fish that we used to eat. I remember all those Egyptian cuisines that were so wonderful. And now we're out here. They'd forgotten about Pharaoh's whip. They'd forgotten about all that harsh labor. Isn't it funny how we can have selective memory? And sometimes we forget God's provision. But if we're going to endure tough times, we need to have a hope that remembers the provisions of Christ. Do you know why we celebrate the Lord's Supper? It's so that we never forget what Jesus did for us on Calvary's cross. It's so easy for us to just let that gloss back into the backdrop of our memory of what Jesus did for us when He shed His blood on Calvary for my sin and yours. And so when we observe the Lord's Supper, it reminds us that His body was broken and His blood was shed for you and me. That's why we do it. And we're covered by the blood of the Lamb. I don't know about you, but that's a positive thing. If you have trouble remembering what Jesus has done for you, you need to set some landmarks up in your life. That's what, the, that's what God did for the Israelites. When they crossed the Jordan River, He told them to take stones out of the bottom of the Jordan and set it up as a memorial so they would never forget. And maybe you need to set up some landmarks so that you don't forget because we tend to forget. So if you want a hope that endures, you need to remember God's provision. But you also need to remember... Your persistence in Christ. Hebrews 10.32 says, But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, after you were saved, what happened? You endured great struggle with sufferings, partly while, while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. 
For you had compassion on me and my chains, and joyfully you accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. These Jewish Christians suffered for the name of Christ. They were made spectacles. That word spectacle is very interesting. It's the word from which we get our English word theater. The way they would mock people back then, particularly criminals, they would put them on the theater and they would mock them publicly, to public shame. That's how they would embarrass them. That's how they would mock them. And that's kind of what happens in our culture too, isn't it? If people want to silence your faith, what do they do? They mock you publicly. They try to silence you through ridicule, public shame. It's kind of like what Hollywood does to people all the time. The theater. These Jewish believers were persistent in persecution when they first believed. They endured mockings. The Bible says that they were willing to even have their possessions confiscated for the name of Christ. And they did it gladly because they knew they had a better possession waiting for them. But under the constant pressure of being mocked, under that constant pressure of being ridiculed for the name of Jesus, it kind of made them lose hope. They were kind of being counseled by their culture. They were being blamed. They were being shamed for the name of Christ. Kind of reminds me of how people treated Jack Phillips, the baker from Colorado, who refused to, to decorate a cake that celebrated homosexual marriage. Do y'all know what happened to him? They drug him through the courts. And, and, and one by one, he began to win his cases in the court. But you know what happened? They just filed more and more lawsuits. Why? Because they're trying to destroy him financially and relationally. They're trying to make it so that nobody would want to even be affiliated with him. That's how, how things work. That's kind of the pressure that I think that these Jews were under during their time period. And because of that constant pressure, because of that continuous ridicule, some of these Jewish believers were ready to turn their back on Christ. They were ready just to throw in the towel. It's just time to quit. Have you ever been ridiculed for Christ? Have you ever been ridiculed because you follow Him? Have you ever been excluded because of your Christian faith and maybe people didn't invite you to the party? Really, they're doing you a favor when they do that. But have you ever been excluded? Have you ever been ridiculed because you didn't laugh at the same jokes that everybody else laughed at? I mean, sometimes you might get to the point you say, well, you know, why don't I just blend in? Why don't I just laugh at the same things that they laugh at and just be one of the guys? And these Hebrew Christians were brought back to remember how much they were willing to suffer when they first believed. If you're being tempted to give up on your walk with Christ, you need to remember what it was like when you first got saved. Do you remember that? Some of you, it's been a long time. Do you remember what it was like? The Word of God was fresh. Every sermon was inspiring. Everybody okay with that? Remember what it was like. Every worship service, you couldn't get enough of worship. It was, it was just amazing. It was like the, uh, the, it's like the first time a blind man saw a sunset. I was talking to a man this past week who was, who was born deaf and he, couldn't, he went to a school for the deaf. And so now they got these implants that they can put in. And so they put these surgical implants in and all of a sudden he could hear things he'd never heard in his life. He said it was amazing. He said, one day I was out in my yard and I heard this noise and I couldn't figure out where it was coming from. But I was walking around trying to find, get, locate it. He said, I finally got to, to this tree and I realized the closer I get to this tree, the more I could hear this particular noise. And he got to the base of the tree and it was the loudest it had been the whole time. And he looked up and you know what he saw in the tree? Birds. 
The first time he'd ever heard a bird sing. It was every new sound was amazing. That's what it's like when you came to Christ. Everything was fresh and exciting and amazing. You were willing to endure any hardship for Christ. You were willing to give any amount to support his ministry. You were willing to serve no matter what it cost you. Do you remember what it was like? You know, when you first got saved, you didn't care what anybody else thought about you. Only Christ. That doesn't change until later when you begin to cool off. And then you forget the enthusiasm and the fire that you had for Christ. So the writer of Hebrews said to these Jewish believers, remember your persistence in Christ. Remember how on on fire you were when you first came to know Jesus. Remember that you were willing to suffer for Christ anything that came your way. We get so used to our comforts that we just don't want to suffer for Jesus anymore. So many people just give up so quickly. You know why? Because they don't ever move uh, in a good direction. They don't ever mature in Christ. They're like so many people that just stay on the edge. They get saved and that's as far as they go. One little girl uh, was sleeping and she fell out of bed one day and her mother said, Honey, why in the world did you fall out of bed? And she said, Well, I think I stayed too close to where I got in. (laughs) You know, that's what happens to a lot of people in their Christian walk. The reason why they fall off so quick is because they stay too close to where they got in. And we need to remember our persistence when we first followed Christ. So if you want a hope that endures, you need to remember the provisions of Christ. You need to remember your persistence in Christ. And I don't want you to miss this, but you need to remember the purposes of Christ. The purpose of Christ. You know, in Hebrews 10.35, it says, Do not cast away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance. That word endurance means to abide under. It means to stand under pressure. It means to stand under difficulty. It means to stand under difficult times. And we have a need for endurance. These Jewish believers, they were losing their confidence in Jesus. They, things weren't working out just like they thought they would. You ever, ever had that in your life? Things just aren't working out. Things weren't getting better. They were getting worse. Persecution wasn't getting any lighter. It was going, getting more intense as time went on. Have you ever prayed for something? And the more you prayed, the worse you got. Anybody else ever been there? Have you ever prayed for for God's healing and you you got worse? Have you ever prayed that God would provide for a financial need and it got worse? Have you ever prayed that God would restore a wayward child and it seemed like they got further from God? You ever prayed that way? Does it mean that God doesn't answer your prayer? No. Does it mean that God doesn't care about you? No. Listen carefully. You cannot interpret God's love for you based on your circumstances. You cannot interpret God's love for you based on your circumstances. Hebrews 10.35 says, Do not cast away your confidence. He wasn't saying they were going to cast away their salvation, but they were going to cast away their confidence in Christ. Their hope in Christ. They didn't like their circumstances, so they were just about to lose hope. You know, some people say this. You know, if you just had enough faith, God would bless you financially. Some people say, well, you know, if you just had enough faith, God would heal you. We've heard, Kathy and I have heard that. If you just had enough faith. Well... 
Jay Vernon McGee on his radio program, Walk Through the Bible, used to talk about how God had healed him from cancer. He had a tough time with cancer and he was shared on the radio how God healed him. And then he started getting all these letters from people who God didn't hear, heal. And then he said this, God doesn't heal everyone. This is what he said, some are healed and some are not. If you can stand up and give a testimony about how God healed you, if you can stand up and give a testimony of how successful you have been in business, know this, there are multitudes of saints who are suffering. And they are paying a, a tremendous price. And he said, do you know how they do it? They do it through faith. And J. Vernon McGee said, those people have a greater faith than I've ever had. Faith. You know, a few years ago, we had a pastor in Burkina Faso. His name was Joel. And so Joel, his wife got sick, and so he um, took her to the church and asked the church to pray for her. And when they prayed for her, she didn't get better. And so Joel concluded that God's not powerful enough to heal my wife. So you know what he did next? He took his wife to a witch doctor. Well, the church kind of kicked him out because he did that. And when uh, the funny thing about it was Joel was there in Burkina Faso one day when we were witnessing to a man named Moro, who we believed to be demon-possessed. Joel was there and helped me share the gospel with him. He saw God deliver that man that day. He saw the power of God. It was undeniable. So when I went back to Burkina Faso, I wanted to go see Joel. So I went to Joel's home and I sat in his yard. I said, Joel, what made you lose your confidence in Christ? He said, because God didn't have the power to heal my wife. I said, Joel, you were there. You saw God deliver Moro. We were there. We were witnesses. Everybody saw it. You know God has the power. I said, my wife's not well either. It doesn't mean God cannot heal her. But it does mean God has a greater purpose than what we realize. God can heal you. God can rescue you from whatever you're going through. But He may not. And don't let your circumstances dictate your confidence in Christ. You need to remember that God sometimes has a purpose greater than what you can see. And so in Hebrews 11.32, just flip over a few pages and read this with me. In Hebrews 11.32, the writer says this, And what more shall I say? For the time should fail me to tell you of Gideon, Barak, of Samson, and Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets. And so he was like I am. Sometimes I just run out of time. He said, but listen, who through faith subdued kingdoms. They worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the violence of fire. Underscore this, they escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness they were made strong. They became valiant in battle. Turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Don't we love to read those stories of victory? Don't we love to read those miraculous stories? How God delivered. It's inspirational. Don't you love to read those stories? You know, if you're having difficulty in your life, you may feel like, hey, I don't fit in. Something must be wrong with me. God must not love me. But I want you to look at verse 35. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. And they were stoned. 
They were sown in two. They were tempted and underscored this. They were slain with the sword. Some people God delivered and some people He didn't. Some people escaped the sword and some people had to endure the sword. Don't interpret God's love for you by your circumstances. Don't measure your faith by your circumstances. Don't judge your salvation based on your suffering. So many people do. Let me give you an example. In Acts chapter 12, Peter was in prison. He was on death row for preaching the gospel. And you would think that Peter would be pacing back and forth in his cell, his stomach in knots as he began to think about, am I going to be beheaded or am I going to be crucified? You think that maybe Peter was biting his nails in anguish, waited his fate. But do you know what Peter was doing? He was sleeping. God had arranged a prison break and there he is sleeping. The angel had to punch him in the side and wake him up. And even then, I don't think Peter was that excited about getting out because he was still sleeping. And God delivered Peter from the prison. And he delivered him from death. But if you go back to Acts chapter 7, there was another man and his name was Stephen. He was one of the first deacons. And he was preaching to the Jews, trying to convince them that Jesus was the Messiah. Stephen was a deacon. He could preach. Philip was a deacon and he could preach. I told our deacons, I said, you know, these deacons could preach. I need to have a sermon in your back pocket. You never know when you might need it. Well, Stephen was preaching. And those Jews became so angry. They picked up stones and they began to launch them at him. And as he was dying, he prayed to God to forgive them for what they were doing. Do you think that God loved Peter more than he loved Stephen? Do you think Peter had a greater faith? Than Stephen had? No. God had a bigger purpose than what we could see. You see, the day that Stephen was stoned, there was a man standing there. His name was Saul. We know him as the Apostle Paul, and he held the coats of those who stoned Stephen. And he witnessed what happened. He witnessed how Stephen died. I think it left an indelible mark on his life to see what happened. Peter, I mean, Paul was one of the, uh, the, the biggest haters of Christian, and he became maybe the greatest Christian the world's ever known. He wrote most of the New Testament. He carried the gospel to the Western world. God had a purpose in Stephen's death that was really greater than anyone else could imagine. So listen, do not let your circumstances dictate to your confidence in Christ. You know, John the Baptist was another one who almost lost his confidence in Christ. I mean, there he was preaching on the Jordan River. Everything was going great. He was baptizing people. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Everything was going wonderfully until he was arrested by Herod Antipas. And then all of a sudden, things didn't seem right. He thought, well, maybe Jesus is not who I thought he was. And so he began to doubt. So he sent word to Jesus, are you the one or should I look for somebody else? Because how can I prepare the way if I'm in prison? John was in a dark place. He was in a tough spot. But you know, he'd forgotten the purpose of God. Because earlier in his ministry, he said about Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. He just never imagined that the way he was going to decrease was by having his head on a platter. And so John, I mean, Jesus sent word back to John in Matthew eleven five. He said, you tell John that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. You know what Jesus was saying? I have the power to raise the dead. I have the power to, to set captives free. And I have the power to get you out of prison, but I'm not. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Blessed is he who is not offended 
when he doesn't heal you. Blessed is he who is not offended when you're not healed, but someone else is. Blessed is he who, who is not offended whenever your loved one got, dies, but someone else's doesn't. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. I heard someone say one time, it's one thing to have faith to escape suffering, but it's another thing to have faith to endure it. It's one thing to have faith for deliverance, but it's another to have faith enough to die. Faith isn't receiving from God what you want. Faith is receiving what God gives. And so the question is not when you're sick or when you're down and out, do I have enough faith for God to heal me? The bigger question is, do I have enough faith when God doesn't heal me to praise Him still? So, if you're in a tough spot, remember God's purpose. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.17, whatever you're going through, for our light affliction is but for a moment. And it's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory than you will ever imagine. God has a purpose. And what Paul was saying, in light of all the things you suffer, it is a, it is a light affliction and a momentary affliction. But God is working a bigger purpose. But then I think of the greatest suffering that's ever been shown in Scripture. It's found in Hebrews chapter 12. And in verse 2, it says this, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him who endured such hostility from sinners against Himself lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. What was that joy that Jesus set before him that allowed him to endure the cross? It was the resurrection. Because without a crucifixion, there is no resurrection. But you know what I think? We sang a song just a few moments ago about the stand. When Jesus carried our sin and our shame to Calvary's cross, I think he saw the joy set before him that I am going to deliver those people. I'm going to set those people free from their sin. Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before Him. He purchased our salvation by His death. And I think when He died, He saw you and me for the joy that was set before Him. He endured the cross that we take so lightly sometimes. Jesus was a man of sorrow. So if you're going to have hope, you need to remember that God has a purpose. And then lastly, I want to give you this. You need to remember the promises of Jesus. You need to remember the promises of Christ. Look at verse 38. It says, the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. You know what the danger that we have, that you and I have, is to draw back? We have the danger of quitting. You know, I read an article this past week that 59% of full-time workers in America have already written their resignation and have it filed away for the future. I can get you the article. I was stunned. 59% are contemplating calling it quits. And maybe you're thinking, I'm just going to call it quits. I'm going to give up on church. I'm going to give up on serving. I'm just going to quit. Sometimes we draw back. That, that term, draw back, is a sailing term. It means to take the sails down and just let the wind blow you wherever it wants to blow you. And the author of Hebrews says, do not draw back. Keep the sail up. Stay the course. Keep moving forward. So many people, they just quit worshiping. They quit working. They quit witnessing. Now, what do we need to do while we're waiting on the promise? We need to keep singing. We need to keep sharing. We need to keep serving. We need to keep studying. We don't give up. 
Stay the course. So what is the promise? First of all, there's the promise of His return. Look at verse 37. And He who is coming will come and will not tarry. Jesus is coming again and He will make all things right one day. So many people get enamored by all the details about when He's going to come and how is He going to come and what's it going to be like before He comes. And yet we forget to deal with the main thing, which is that He is coming. He is coming again. Andrew Murray said it this way. There is such a danger of our being so occupied with things that are to come more than with Him who is to come. And Jesus is coming again. And one day He's going to right all the wrongs. Do you ever wonder why bad things happen to God's people? Do you ever, do you ever wonder why it seems like the wicked prosper but the righteous suffer? The Bible says one day He's going to right all the wrongs. And He is not tearing. The Bible says He's not late. He's waiting for the appointed time. Until then, continue in the faith. And then the last thing is, there's a promise of His reward. In verse 34, it says, you have an enduring possession in heaven that's waiting. Verse 35, it says, uh, there's a great reward. You might be here, maybe your life is tough, and you're thinking, you know, I've got this problem, I've got that problem, I've got this problem. And when is life ever going to be easier? Well, God never said life was going to be easy. And He never said it would get any easier. That was never a promise that we have. In fact, Jesus promised the exact opposite. In John 16, 33, he said, In this world you will have what? Tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Let me give you one first that really ought to, you need to lock it in. Galatians 6, 9 says, And do not, he says, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. Stay the course. There's a reward waiting. And I want to give you, just as we close, uh, some, the lyrics to a very powerful hymn. Very encouraging. It says this. He gives more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sends more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, He adds His mercy. To multiplied trials, His multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance... When our strength has failed and the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power no boundary known unto men. For out of His infinite riches in Jesus, He gives and gives and gives again. And maybe you're here this morning and you're just on the verge of just dropping out. You're on the verge of quitting. And maybe this morning as we have our invitation, maybe you're response is, God, would you give me a renewed hope? I need you to renew the hope that's in me, a renewed confidence. Or maybe as we come to our invitation time, you've just forgotten what it was like when you first got saved, how much you were willing to endure for Christ. And maybe today you need to say, God, would you rekindle that flame in me like it was when I first believed? Sometimes, you know, our relationship with Christ can get so cold and stale. But maybe today you need to say, God, I need you to rekindle the flame in me. Give me a new zeal. Or maybe this morning you realize that Jesus died for you. He suffered for you. He wants to cover you. And maybe today you just need to know how to do that. Would you come? I can tell you. uh, Any of our deacons can tell you. JB can share it with you. Other of our church members, connect group leaders, we'd love the opportunity to share with you how to know Christ. But would you respond how the Lord leads? Let's pray together. Well, thank you for your word and thank you for the encouragement that we have in your word to stay the course. Thank you that you do give us 
the secret to enduring tough times. Thank you that you uh, provide for us in so many wonderful ways. Uh, Lord, thank you that you have helped us so many times to persist when we face persecution or heartache. Lord, thank you that you have uh, a purpose that's much greater than ours. Lord, thank you that you give us a promise of something better that gives us an eternal hope. I pray today, as we come to these moments of surrender, you help us to respond to you, how you lead us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you to stand with us as we sing our song of invitation. Would you respond how the Lord leads you this morning? To every question, the one solution.